Hello everyone, this is Anthony Stockwell from Hadlow College. A very warm welcome to our podcast. This podcast is focused on the golf course walk, the professional discussion. Within this podcast, we're going to go through essentially what the golf course walk is. Um, it's broken down to different sections. First of all, we're going to be talking about how to choose your hole. We're going to be talking about different soil types, mowing regimes, the maintenance operations that occur on your golf course or your chosen hole. We're going to be talking about plant identification um, and ide- identifying problem solving um, and ideas of how to correct the problem on your hole. Um, first of all, let's start off with an introduction. Now, the golf course walk, also known as the professional discussion, is a mandatory task and every student must do it as part of their endpoint assessment. In short, all you need to actually do is walk a hole on your golf course and the endpoint examiner will be asking you questions. And it's up to you to give as much detail to answer the questions as best you can to get the the best grades possible. And through this podcast, we're going to give you hints, tips and techniques on how to answer those questions to the best of your ability. In terms of the timescales of this assessment, it's actually completed first on the day. So in practical terms, the examiner will turn up to your workplace. Um, They're likely to to want to have a cup of tea first, maybe talk you through the formalities of the endpoint assessment. They ask for your ID, which you're required to show the examiner before before you start. But the, the golf course walk will occur usually after about 10 or 15 minutes. One or two examiners like to get out there straight away. So as soon as they arrive, they say, right, let's get out, get out and go onto the golf course. Now, first of all, you need to pick uh, hole it's your choice you can choose where you what hole you want to do going to give you some advice now on what sort of hole to choose so first of all it needs to be a par four uh, can't be a par three you could pick a par five um, I'd suggest picking a short par five if you are going to pick par five um, what you need to do though with your hole is it needs to be a hole that's interesting um, because the more you can talk about it the more opportunity you have to do well so if it's interesting I'll be looking for features such as uh, penalty areas maybe a water with such water ditches lakes maybe a stream um, has the hole got any interesting features like trees or or bunker projects or any wildlife projects that are on it um, are there any interesting sort of views or or maybe it's a dog leg hole or something like that if possible but not essential try and keep the hole close to your uh, maintenance facility so you don't have to walk ages to get out to it however if it is on the other side of the golf course i'd recommend taking um you you need to have a vehicle utility vehicle ready on the day so you could take the examiner out to the hole the day before you do the the endpoint assessment here are a few tools that you need to have ready so i'd I'd recommend having a soil probe available um something to put into the soil so you can confirm that this is your soil type um i think it'd be worth having a map of the hole um again it's you don't actually have to have a map of the hole or a soil probe but i'd recommend that you do have one um you must have a stint meter available um as part of the golf course walk, you don't actually need to use a stint meter. That's part of a separate activity called the golf course preparation activity. There's a separate podcast on that. I'd recommend listening to that and getting as much practice with a stint meter as possible. Um, you do the golf course preparation activity a similar sort of time to the golf course walk. They're two different. Technically, they're two different activities, but they sort of blend into one as you're going to do them roughly about the same time. In terms of the length of time the golf course walk will take, it could be anything from an hour to two hours. The time, though, is going to go so quickly, it will feel like it's just half an hour, ten minutes or so. Okay, so let's move on. We're going to now talk about the soil types. And it's essential that you know what soil type you have on your golf course, particularly on your chosen hole. 
you need to know the difference in soil classification. Uh, and this is mainly between different types of soil. So I'll just go through a few of these. So this is sand, silt, clay, um, chalk, gravel. You need to essentially know what's on your golf course. Quite often golf courses will have very sandy greens uh, and very sandy tees. Um, you could have a USGA construction green which is um, it's 12 inches of sand above a gravel carpet uh, with pipe drainage as well. Um, if you're an old golf course um, could have clay push-up greens which where the, the underlying soil is clay but over time through top dressing um, the, the soil type will still be very sandy similar to a USGA construction. Um, tees vary from golf course to golf course but you will tend to find that these will be quite sandy and could have a bit of silt in there as well through the divot mix that's been put down over the years. Um, a lot of golf courses have put down this sand uh, on the tees and greens at the initial construction. That sand has been mined, it's been brought to the golf club on lorries, on trucks, and deposited there. Um, it's not the natural soil type that you'd have on your golf course. A considerable number of golf courses will have clay as their indigenous soil type, which is the soil type that's been there for thousands of years. Other golf courses um, will have a lot of chalk on their golf course. Um, for example, London Golf Club, uh, North Foreland Golf Club, Pearly Downs Golf Club in Surrey um, have a, a lot of chalk. Down on the, uh, the coast, a lot of the golf courses have very sandy soils, particularly in Kent. We've got uh, Royal St George's, Royal St Ports, Prince's Golf Club. Uh, a lot of golf courses in Surrey on the Surrey Heathland Belt are very sandy soils and that's your indigenous soil. You won't necessarily have clay. That's all well and good, but you need to know what's on your golf course. Um, certain tests you can do, I mean, taking a soil probe out, simply looking at the soil um, can help. I'd recommend talking to your golf course manager, finding out from them exactly what type of soils you have on your courses. Very simple test uh, for clay. If you take some clay and roll it into a sausage shape, if it forms a sausage, um, it will be clay because clay is a sticky soil that sticks together and will form a sausage. Chalk naturally is very white in colour. You should be able to see the, the whiteness. You can almost like uh, the old-fashioned blackboards where you can write on them. That, that That's essentially chalk. For your soil type on your golf course... What you need to know and what you need to communicate, what you need to articulate to the examiner is the effect that soil has on the maintenance. So I'm going to go through what exactly this means and the properties of each of these soil types. So we'll start off by talking about sand. Now sand has a larger particle size than clay or silt, um, has very good internal aeration um, roots are able to find their way between the grains of sand. Um, has very good drainage. Um, in the spring, it tends to warm up quite fast compared to clay. Um, it's quite easy to work with. Um, and in terms of if you have a verti drain, if you're coring, the tillage or the ability to move it, move it around to work with it is, is quite easy to work with. Um, it is very, uh, we mentioned it's very quick draining sand. Um, it's, it's not very good at holding on to nutrients and we call this a uh, cation exchange capacity. Uh, so it has a low ability to hold on to nutrients. If you put down a fertilizer, uh, particularly potassium or in fact all nutrients, you put it down. Um, if you get some heavy rain, um, it's going to wash through that profile. We call that leaching, whether the rain or, or it could be irrigation washes the nutrients through the profile. Another high advantage of sand is its compaction potential. Um, a lot of your teas are made out of sand, um, which is, is a really good property 
of sand is it it's uh, well let, let's just say for example if a hundred golfers walked over your sandy tee and they played their shots twisted their feet um they all took divots from the same area they're going to be walking across that a lot of them high traffic areas the compaction potential of sand is quite low particularly compared to clay if you had a clay tee next to a sandy tee the clay tee is going to wear out it will compact a lot quicker than a sandy tee would let's talk next about clay now clay has a very small particle size so small you can't actually see the individual grains it's very sticky as we've already mentioned because the particles are so small there's less pore space between the particles which means the internal aeration is very poor um, very small particles so this means that roots are not able to work their way down through clay as well as they are through sand they're still able to do it to some degree but you'll tend to find that plants have um they don't have as great a rooting or their, their root density isn't quite so big in clay than it is sand. Um, the internal drainage properties of clay are very poor. It holds on to water and often we need to supplement clay surfaces with sort of sand slit drainage or pipe drainage to ensure or gravel drainage to improve the uh, drainage of it we spoke about the um, tillage or the workability of clay um, earlier and it is pretty poor if you were to put a vertidrain or um, a procore over a clay surface it wouldn't be able to work the surface as well as it would with a sandy surface and um, compaction potential is very high with clay. Um, as soon as you walk over it, if you get 10 golfers or 100 golfers, it's really going to compact and the grass plant is going to suffer as a consequence of walking over it. In terms of temperature, because it's holding on to a lot of moisture, a lot of water, it warms up slowly in the spring. Um, because of this, um, spring can be slightly later on clay soils. However, in contrast, when it comes to the autumn, um, it warms down slowly as well. So um, sort of late autumn, October, November, December, you can actually get pretty good surfaces and turf does quite well on those surfaces compared to sandy soils, which warm down slower than, um, than clay. One of the best advantages about clay is its ability to hold on to nutrients and its high cation exchange capacity. So you quite often find that you don't need to put additional fertilizer onto turf surfaces, um, particularly roughs or um, fairways. They don't really require much nitrogen source to them as there's a lot in the soil already. And we've spoken there a lot about the differences between sand and clay. There's another soil type which is silt. Silt is um, sits halfway between sand and clay. So it, it's the medium between the two. Um, so everything we've spoken about, it is sort of the middle ground on those. So for silt, the cation exchange uh, capacity, the ability to hold on to nutrients would be a medium. Um, its drainage qualities are they're okay they're not super quick at draining it's not very slow the temperature difference is that it would warm up moderately quickly compared to clay and um, slower than sand the tillage is moderately good in terms of your ability to work with that soil its water holding capacity and compaction potential are they're fair it, they're not it's not amazing, it's not as um, as low as sand in terms of holding on to water, but um, in, in terms of compaction potential, it, it will do fair. It, it's not going to be fantastic results. Um, it won't be very poor results. So we've spoken there about the three different soil types, but what does this mean for your, uh, your maintenance programs? Well, for sandy surfaces, 
and in contrast not clay, you're going to have to provide more nutrients, more fertiliser to the surface. You're going to need to provide more irrigation on the surface. In terms of mowing, you're going to need to mow a clay surface more often than you would a sandy surface. There are lots of different circumstantial things here that may be different on each site. But generally speaking, because it holds on to the nutrients, because it has more moisture in the soil, clay will need more a higher mowing frequency than a, clay, uh, than a sandy soil. You're also going to need to put more drainage into a clay soil. So you'll need more pipe drainage or more gravel drainage into your soil. As clay soil has is compacts more than a sandy soil, you're going to need to put more measures in place, such as vertidraining, um, hollow coring on that sort of surface to relieve some of that compaction. You don't need to do as much aeration work on sandy soils. Now, a lot of you actually have chalky soils on your golf course, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about chalk soils, which is an indigenous soil that's been there for thousands of years. It hasn't been brought in or it isn't been quarried. Chalky soils are alkaline, uh, which means they have a pH of 7.1 or higher. Usually between 7 and 8 is um, what you'd have. The soils are very, very quick draining. They're often full of stones as well, uh, flint as well, which is, is brought up to the surface. You very rarely get any flooding on chalky soils just because they drain so quickly. Um, they warm up quickly in spring, so you get um, the, the roots are able to warm up quicker. You get more grass growth in the spring. Chalk soils are relatively infertile. They don't hold that many nutrients um, because the soil is alkaline, um, a lot of the nutrients aren't available to the plant anyway, particularly iron. Um, so if you do want to have sort of lush, healthy turf, you do need to provide a lot of fertiliser um, to the soil. Now, it'd be a good opportunity to talk about other um, soil conditions here um, when you're talking about your soil. Uh, another one is thatch or... Um, It'd be really good if you could identify thatch um, on the golf course or, or see a small part of it so you could show the examiner and talk about the impact that thatch has on your surface. Now, a little bit of thatch may not be too much for a problem, but if you have too much thatch, it can be a big problem on the golf course. First of all, let's talk, well, let's define what thatch is. Thatch can be defined as a layer of decomposing organic matter um, that is often just below the base of the, the plant, very close to the surface. Um, I think one thing I'd think about with thatch is almost like a layer of cardboard. Now, cardboard can be quite, if it's wet, can be very soft and very spongy. Um, it can be When it's dry, though, it can be quite hard and almost too firm. Um, so in terms of our thatch, I always think of it as being cardboard can be broken up, broken down by scarifying. Um, if you do verti-cutting often, you can keep on top of it as well. Because it holds onto moisture, it's not particularly um, encouraged on the golf course, and you do want to minimise the amount that you have. Um, it can also encourage disease, so trying to reduce its, the amount of it is, is only a good thing. Another soil condition that we're going to talk about, and if you can identify it in your golf course walk, Again, it's a, it's a great thing, and that would be black layer. Now, black, black layer is a, a build-up of sulphur in the soil. Um, it's a build-up of sulphur because there's not enough air exchange, not enough gas exchange within in the soil. And it, it looks like a black layer. Um, it's an actu Actually, an easy way to identify it isn't by seeing it, it's by smelling the soil because it has a a sulphur base smell um, has a, a smell like rotten eggs, very sort of stale smell. So if you if you can identify that within in the profile, that that's great. You may not have back black layer in your soil, but you're more likely to actually see it during the winter um, when you're not able to do aeration work, and particularly if it's been very wet or you've had any flooding. 
um, you're more likely to see it after heavy rainfall. I'd recommend looking out for black layer, particularly when you're changing holes uh, or doing any work with the soil. Um, if you do find it um, or change a hole when you see some of it, it will only be visible or you'll only be able to smell it for maybe five minutes, if that, because immediately when once any aeration work is done, the, the sulphur is released into the atmosphere. It will have oxygen replacing the sulphur. So you'll be you you won't smell it after a little bit of a while, or you won't even be able to see see it, um, because it's an immediate release, immediate change of the air conditions. Whenever you take a soil sample, I'd really encourage you to 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 use all your senses. Don't just look at the the sample. Use your hands. See if you can roll the the sample. Use your nose. See if you can smell the sample as well. Um, by using all your senses, you're going to be inter giving off a, a better professional um, mannerisms, better behaviours to the, the endpoint assessor. So use all your senses. Okay, so just to summarise on the soils, I'd recommend you need to know what type of soil you've got and how that affects your maintenance regimes. Talk about it with your manager, get as much information, be able to talk about it as much as you can. Okay, the next section on the golf course walk is the mowing regimes. Now for this, um, you need to find out on every surface on your hole what the heights of cut are. And you need to do that for different times of year, particularly summer and winter. If you know the heights of cut for spring and autumn, fantastic. Um, now let, let's talk about the heights of cut and the sort of ranges that we'd be looking for. Um, if anything within the ranges I'm about to say would be accepted by the examiners, if they're, if you're miles out compared to these, you may not be accepted. Um, if you sound confident with your numbers, you're more likely to be correct. So first of all, greens, typically your, your height of cut could be anything from, I'd say about three millimetres to about five, maybe in winter. Um approaches and tees often they can be down to about eight or nine millimeters in summer possibly up to about 12 millimeters in the winter fairways um lowest i would hear on those would be roughly about 10 millimeters uh, in the winter they could be as high as 16 millimeters maybe 18 millimeters um now, for rough, this will vary from golf course to golf course. You may have intermediate rough, you may have semi-rough. But we're looking here for, for rough that's mown regularly once a week. You're looking at anything from 2 inches to 4 inches in in length. Now, an interesting concept here it, that you may need to talk about, and it'd be great if you could, uh, is the bench setting of the mower, which is the height that the mower is set up in the in the mechanics workshop in your maintenance facilities. That's the bench setting um, versus the actual real hutting height. The actual real hutting height will not always be exactly the same as your bench setting. So you may set up your mower at three millimeters, but you you may go onto the golf course and it's actually cutting at a little bit lower than. Uh, three millimeters now there's a couple of reasons why this could be um, if if your green is quite soft um, the roller may sink into the turf which would mean that the the real height of cut would be lower than the bench setting it's going to be lower if you're cutting on soft spongy greens or greens that have recently had a lot of water if you've got very firm surfaces, your bench setting is going to be almost exactly the same as your actual or your real height of cut. We also mentioned that um, in the summer, your heights of cut are lower than they are in winter. You may need to explain why this is. In winter, the grass plant is under more stress um, and has to cope with more wear and tear. So with more vegetative um, leaf there, it will be able to cope better with the, the wear and tear. Um, because there's less um, available UV radiation, there's less sunlight available in winter, having a greater surface area uh, will enable it to 
photosynthesize a little bit more than it would in the summer. Trying to encourage photosynthesis in the winter would only be a, a beneficial thing. Um, it would in, improve the health of the plant as the, the grass plant is converting the sunlight energy into the sugars that it needs to grow and support its development. Now the next thing you need to talk about as part of the mowing regimes is you need to know the machinery that is used on the surfaces. And th this is where it's really key to walk around your golf course yard, your facilities, to get as much experience on different machines as possible. Um, if you don't um, mow all the surfaces, I'd recommend going... You'd, for example, if you didn't mow fairways for six months, you'd need to go and find out what the make and model is of that fairway mower. With the machinery, it's really important to give as much detail as possible and speak professionally. Um, I'd recommend giving the full make and model of the machine that you is used to cut that surface. So rather than just saying something like, yeah, we use the, the green mower or we use the, the greens mower, I'd really recommend saying exactly what machine and make it is, what make and model it is. So, for example, um, why not say the Toro Realmaster 5410? It's got five units, um, it's got 11 blades, and just try and give as much detail as possible. Is it petrol? Is it diesel? Go into that sort of detail. You almost want to bombard with the, the examiner with as much detail about the machines as possible. So it's really a case of finding out exactly what machines are used at work for all your surfaces. Greens, tees, um, approaches or aprons, uh, fairways and the rough. Uh, also think about what machinery is used to mow around bunkers. Is it fly mows? Is it strimmers? That sort of thing. As the examiner may ask you or may want you to explain exactly what, what sort of um, machinery is used there. Now, the last part of this section is that you'll need to explain the um, the effect of mowing on play and presentation, which is very straightforward, very simple um, question. But mowing increases the presentation. It's going to increase ball speed. Um, it's, it's going to... It's going to make it more visually appealing, especially to new members and existing members. Um, fairly simple, straightforward question. The next part of the golf course walk is the maintenance operations and why you do them. It's really important to create a diary or remember exactly what practices have been done on your chosen hole, particularly for maintenance weeks, renovation weeks, where half the golf course or the golf course may be shut for a couple of days so you can perform those operations. Now, the operations I'm talking about are diverse. There's so many of them, but I'm just going to go through a few of them that, that it could be. Again, the more of them you can talk about, the more of them you can mention, the better. And I'm going to mention a few of them now. So we've got hollow coring, um, often performed with a Toro 648. You've got verti-draining, uh, often done with a solid core uh, rather than a hollow core. Um, other practices include um, scarification or verti-cutting. Similar processes, but scarifying goes a little bit deeper than verti-cutting. You've also got grooming. Um, grooming is very similar to verti-cutting, but again, it's just it's not going below the surface, just tickling the top of the surface. Um, also got other practices like top dressing, overseeding, um, got divoting that's typically done on your tees, um, other sort of nutritional practices such as applying fertilisers, applying seaweed, applying wetting agents, they can all be used as well as your typical maintenance operations. Just going back to aeration as well, um, there's some sort of particular tools that can be used that will provide unique types of um, aeration, such as you've got a machine called the Air2G2, which injects air into the soil profile. You've got another one, um, Graydon machine, which provides sand injection. Um, you've also got earthquake machines, which are very, very large, fairly expensive machines that are often hired in for a week. So you can grade on, uh, sorry, so you can provide the earthquake or the shock to the soil. Very deep aeration that really is good if you can um, do your golf course with one of those. 
But what you really need to do is talk about what's been done on your whole. Talk about those practices that have been done. Um, the more you can remember, the better, and the, you need to communicate it with your examiner. Um, all of those practices, you need to explain why they're done and the impact they have on the turf. Think about um, the impact it has on the roots, the impact it has on the health surface, the the ability it has to remove fats from the soil, particularly for scarification. Uh, think about the nutritional value of adding the fertilisers or the seaweed, how it's hardening up the turf plant, maybe protecting it from disease. I won't go through all of the practices, um, but just have a think about why you do them. I mean, top top dressing, smoothing the surface, recovery from um, recovery from any aeration, overseeding. Not sure if I mentioned that one a few moments ago, but overseeding could be done to replenish, encourage growth. Um, also, um, if you wanted to change the species at all on on the green or on a tea, overseeding can be a particularly good practice, uh, especially as. And it sometimes can be used to thicken up the sward, um, encourage sort of that more sturdy growth on a particularly on a golf tee or on a golf green. Okay, next thing that we're going to talk about is plant identification. Um, what I'd encourage you to do, what you need to do is ensure and put it bluntly, you need to know all the plants on your hole. You need to memorise them and tell the assessor what plants you've got. Um, for a pass, you need to give the common names. For a merit, you need to give the genus. Um, if you want to go for the distinction, you need to know the genus and species. Um, the genus is the first part of the Latin or botanical name. The species is the second part of the Latin name. So just an example, um, the common name for the most common tree in the UK, the common name is the English common oak. The genus is Quercus and the species is Roba. So in full, the Latin name is Quercus Roba. And hopefully you guys already knew that one already because it's the most common one um, that we have in the UK, the most common tree. I'd recommend that you choose a hole with plenty of different plants on it, plenty of different trees. Some golf courses, particularly on the links, you may be struggling here to find plants, but... Um, you don't have to necessarily use trees. You can use wildflowers, shrubs, weeds, um, particularly things that, or, or wildflowers as well. Um, have a real good hunt round your hole and make sure you know what plants are there. As um, every golf course, every hole in the UK will have at least um, seven different plants on it. A question that is often proposed here with plant identification is: How do you actually do it? Now, it's really important when we're looking at different plants to have a look at the key features. Don't just have a glance at the plant. You really need to have a close look. Uh, sometimes you need to get on your hands and knees, get down really low if it's a small plant. Or have a look at the bigger picture, have a look at the, the whole plant on its own. For trees, you can often... Uh, key indicators are the leaves. Have a What shape are the leaves? What is the leaf size? For the bark, what colour is the bark? Is the bark smooth? Is it rough? Um, all of these things will give you a, an indication of what, what plant it is. What about the height of the tree or the, the shrub? What is the shape of it? Is it evergreen? Does it shed its leaves in the, in the autumn? Um, which is what we call a deciduous plant. An evergreen plant will hold on to its leaves all year round. Also, have a think about the fruit. Does it bear fruit? Is it edible fruit? Is it non-edible fruit? Is it a berry? Um, the buds as well. Uh, we see the buds in particularly sort of late winter. Um, are the, are the buds are key indicator of what plant it is. Now I'd really encourage you to learn all the plants on your hole. I'm just going to go through a few of them now and... Um, of some of the more common ones that you're more likely to see on your hole. So we've already mentioned oak. Um, often get a beech tree as well. Um, beech is a sort of silvery bark. That's one of the key indicators. A 
silver birch tree as well that very silvery sort of gray colored bark a yew tree is very common as well a yew tree is an evergreen tree very slow growing they can live a very long time as well um, they can live to about five thousand years some of the yew trees so have a look look out for those get field maples um, hazel which has the hazelnut the cobnut and um, we get a lot of those in Kent they also have a, a long yellow catkin on them as well another uh, tree or shrub um, is hawthorn hawthorn look out for those prickle pricks on them um, the fawns they can be nasty so don't get them anywhere near you or or in your face or in your eyes it'll be quite harmful Another prickly plant that's very common and also an evergreen is holly. Uh, look out for this. Um, be on all your golf courses, I suspect, or most of them, except for a Lynx golf course. You will have holly. Um, it's an easy one to identify, as, as most people from an early age know what holly is. A few other plants that you may likely to have are ash trees. Very um, dark black bud on those. Um, you get horse chestnuts, which have the conkers, uh, and sweet chestnuts, which are the edible chestnuts that you can actually eat once roasted. Uh, another couple of common ones, lime tree. Um, big sort of heart-shaped leafed on that one. Uh, Scotch pine as well. That's an evergreen uh, pine tree, Scotch pine. So for all of those, if you've got them on your hole, make sure you know the Latin name, the genus and species. Other very common um, weeds or wildflowers, shrubs, uh, include very basic things like brambles, nettles, thistles, uh, gorse as well. Gorse is a very common plant found on golf courses. Um, it's an evergreen, fairly low growing. It can grow to about 10 foot in height. Um, dark green, evergreen shrub. And it looks particularly pleasing aesthetically quite stunning really with the yellow bright yellow flowers that emerge in the spring very good for wildlife like many plants on the golf course but um, the main thing here is that you know what plants you have um, walk the hole with your golf course manager take um, some of the mobile phone apps nowadays you can take the photos of the plants and you can find out what they are just verify that make sure you cross-reference it with um with a book any literature you can look them up online the woodlands trust website is very good it has um sort of profiles of each type of tree um so i'd recommend that website it's absolutely fantastic some great photographs on there really encourage you to draw a map of your golf hole um, you can always sort of circle where the plants are and you can you can remember them that way so if you were to draw a map draw a little circle label them um, I don't know t 10 yards short of the the green you've got a maple tree um, at the back of the green you may have a yew tree then you've got a cherry um, near, just in front of the tea by doing by writing out and drawing the hole, you're going to increase your memory. You'll go over it again and again, and it will improve your knowledge. So I'd really encourage um, just keep going over the hole. Every time you're on the hole, just point out, oh, that's that tree, that's that tree. Talk about it with your colleagues, and uh, yeah, draw a map. I think it's a great idea. Okay, we're going to move on to the last section of the golf course walk which is ident identifying potential problems and giving ideas solutions on how that problem can be resolved so what the examiner is likely to ask you to do is whilst you walk in the hole um, see if you can identify a problem that is on the hole that problem could be anything it could be anything as a, a such as a disease could be a pest such as worm casts could be weeds, could be moss, could be fairings, could be thatch, flooding, a soil problem, could be an area of bare soil, uh, compacted turf, it could be a mechanical problem from a mower such as a leak or um, the mower isn't cutting correctly. So this is where it's really important to know your hole, to know what problems you've got on it. If 
if you're able to see them quicker and you're able to identify those those problems it actually works in your favor and actually works in your favor as well if you have if you have problems on your hole uh, if you had a perfect golf course you'd have nothing to talk about now importantly once you've identified the problem you need to come up with a range of solutions of for how you're going to correct that problem now i'm going to go through a couple of them as part of this podcast but um each situation is unique um each problem is going to be unique so have different types of solutions um i think the more the more reasons you can give the better the more detail you can give the better but what the examiner what the they're looking for is there may be one reason that's really good and really effective to control that solution but what the examiners are really looking for is a range of different or as many different ideas as you can possibly think of for that problem general ideas just to improve the health of turf are are quite simple and going to go through them now um you could raise the height of cut raising the height of cut is going to encourage a bit more leaf growth encourage photosynthesis it will encourage a little bit of um, health back into the plant um, improving light, cutting down trees, removing the shade is going to improve the health of the turf. Um, it's going to increase the wind flow, so you're going to get more air gas into the plant as well. Removing moisture, dewing off um, the surface is going to improve the health. Improving drainage or I- increasing the amount of irrigation may help for certain situations. Applying a fertiliser or a herbicide would would certainly help improve the health. Um, It may diminish any weeds um, as well, which may may impact on the health of the turf, overcrowding it, competing for nutrients and moisture within the soil. Increasing your cultural practices as well would be very good for the health of plants, such as improving the aeration, scarification, top dressing, maybe overseeding with um with a new seed as well. Um gonna go through a couple of problems now that are quite typical problems. Um firstly, let's go through moss, because on most golf holes, on most golf courses, you have moss. So you may be walking along the hole, you see a bit of moss and you say to the examiner, oh, we have a problem here. The examiner should ask you, they should ask you to find a problem. But my suggestion is don't wait for them. Have it on the tip of your tongue. Be ready. Be that proactive person who is talking as much as you can. Now, for moss, um, the most effective way to deal with this is to, to spray iron this usually comes in the in a liquid form, sulfate of iron. Um, first of all, spray it. The moss will go a darkish colour, go almost a black colour. Then uh, roughly about seven to ten days later, go along and scarify it, verticut it to remove the, the iron. Uh, sorry, to remove the moss. It, it may not remove all of it. It's unlikely to remove all of it, actually, but it will certainly help reduce the amount the reduce the population of moss you have and this will give the grass uh, an opportunity to um, improve to grow vigorously without be that because it isn't affected so much by the iron and that's the most effective way but I, you've got to think of the more ideas more of a range think about the knock-on effects think about the next problem as well so another way to to reduce moss is uh, increasing sunlight um, overseeding as well that can be done verticutting brushing the turf uh, reducing moisture as well um, reducing moisture from the surface through dewing but also improving the drainage um, you often get moss on uh, putting greens putting surfaces uh, and you probably actually get more of it uh, on your uh, practice putting green where lots of people are walking over it constantly so reducing the wear and tear on turf can help increasing the height of cut could help um, so within the last 30 seconds or so i've probably given about five or six different ways of um, increasing improving the turf health related to moss 
Um, if you can do the same, if you can provide lots of different ideas, you're going to to get higher mark. Another t- typical problem that you get on golf courses um, that we're going to talk about next is worm casts. So you're walking along your hole, the examiner says to you, can you see any problems here? And you could say, yes, uh, there's some worm casts. Again, it's really important to to know your hole really well, to to know exactly where there are some worm casts on your hole so you can point them out. Now with worm casts, uh, a few years ago there was a chemical that was available that you could spray and it would be fantastic because it would reduce the amount of um, worm casts. But we are limited now in terms of how many chemicals we can spray on the golf course. So for worm casts, what are we thinking about? Okay, so here's a couple of ideas that, that may help. Um, first of all, we could be putting brushes on our mowers. We could be switching it. We could be blowing our worm casts. Uh, that will, this will immediately get rid of the worm casts. Another way that we could get rid of worm casts is, um, and probably the most effective way, is when we're mowing, is that we're mowing with our boxes on. If we are returning the clippings to the soil, it's contributing to the, the amount of food available to worms. The worms will eat the eat the bugs, will eat the, the bacteria, fungi that are breaking down the, the dead grass that's been cut. Uh, and we, with more clippings available, it will be increasing the amount of worms that are in the soil. It's all part of the food web and by providing those clippings and even fertilizer to a certain extent will be um, contributing to the food source of worms. So if we are boxing off our our clippings, we're going to be doing all we can to reduce the amount of worms uh, in the soil. A few other ideas that may not be as effective as returning the clippings but um, you you still need to mention them as as you want to mention as many different things as possible. Um, increasing the the amount of sand that's in a surface, so top dressing, or reconstruction with a very sandy based soil. Um, worms don't like a a coarse material. Uh, the favourite type of soil for a worm is actually. Um, slightly damp wet clay Uh, it's very smooth they can travel through it easily Um, food is plenty in there there's plenty of nutrients there's plenty of soil life in there that they can they can live off Um, so so if you want to reduce the amount of worms you want to reduce the amount of clay soil that you have this is likely to not be achievable in your golf course. It's likely to be financially unfeasible. However, for the endpoint assessment, you, it doesn't really matter. You need to use that creative thinking, come up with as many ideas as possible. Okay, another problem that we're going to talk about, and the last one we're going to talk about, um, diseases. Now, one disease that you're likely to have on your hole is um, fairy rings. Now, there are different types of fairy rings. Um, as part of your course, we're not too concerned about the different types. But essentially, what they look like is a, is a green ring. Uh, and often you can get um, mushrooms, toadstools coming out of them. Um, as part, So it'd be really good to walk your hole to identify where they are. Um, but what we need to do is we need to come up with ideas of how we can control them, how we can... Um, reduce the problem and because the examiner is looking for those problem solving skills now with fairy rings there's not actually that much you can do Um, but interestingly they're more visible during the summer months Uh, quite often during a dry period the the green ring will stand out more than it will at other times a year so one thing you can do is not actually cure the problem but you can actually hide the problem Um, now, by hiding the problem, one thing you could do is that you have the green ring, but if you make the, the grass around that green ring also the same colour, um, they're going to stand out less. So methods that you can, can do to um, increase the colour and make it greener around would be fertilising, spraying iron, uh, providing that irrigation, that moisture... 
also um, frequent mowing because if you're mowing it frequently the green ring won't be stood up so much compared to the turf around it. If you can be providing aeration, scarification, um, you're going to be hiding it again. So any sort of things to hide a fairing um, are ideas of how you could um, correct the problem or at least reduce its um, impact on the turf health. Okay, so kind of wrapping things up there with this um, podcast. We've covered a lot through it and I'm just going to summarise what we have covered within the podcast. So this podcast was titled um, The Golf Course War, The Professional Discussion. We've spoken at length about uh, choosing your hole. Um, We've spoken about what the examiner is going to be looking out for, such as your soil type. Uh, They're also going to be looking out for your mowing regimes, knowing the heights of cut, the types of mowers that are used. Going to be looking out for the typical maintenance operations that occur and the reasons for doing them. So things like um, aeration, holocoring, verti-draining, verti-cutting, top-dressing, overseeding, those sort of jobs. Also going to be looking out for the plant identification. So it's important to know exactly what plants you have on your hole. For the higher grades, you need to know the genus and species as part of the Latin name. The examiner is also going to be expecting you to know potential problems that are on the hole, but importantly, giving ideas and solutions on how you can correct the problem. And the more ideas you can give, the better. So I'm just going to give you some final tips on how you can do really well. I think the first of those is get to know your hole. Get to know the hole like your back of the hand. Walk it with your tutor, walk it with your manager, walk it on your own. You could even walk the hole while listening to this podcast. You should be at work every day and you should every time you're on that hole, take your time. Take your time while you're on it. Keep looking around the hole. Uh, another really good way of getting to learn your hole is to draw a map of it. Just take an A4 bit of paper, sketch the hole, label it. Look, maybe point at, put pointers down for where the problems are. Draw circles where the... Um, the trees are really get to know that hole like the back of your hand um, any water features mark them on color it in um, yeah and just just get to know your hole um, second bit of advice is just keep talking I've, I've mentioned this throughout the podcast a lot but the more detail you can give the better be proactive um, tell the examiner information before they ask you just bombard them with facts figures Tell them as much information about your hole, about your soils, about everything we've been talking about as possible. Okay, so I'm now going to finish the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Be really good if you could um, listen to the Golf Course Preparation Activity podcast because that one links in quite well with this. Um, And the grass identification as well because you'll need to be doing the grass identification on your chosen hole. Just to be clear, the Golf Course Walk grass identification and golf course preparation in different activities that occur over the morning or usually towards the start of your golf course walk so as part of the the golf course walk you need to be doing the grass identification activity and the golf course preparation activity at the same time but if you have any questions or want to talk about anything in a little bit more detail let me know thank you very much for listening and good luck for your endpoint assessment